0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, my co host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on February 25th, 2019, which is the day after the 91st Academy Awards. And you have to assume that the folks at Marvel Entertainment are very, very pleased at the way the, the things played out
0: at the Oscars last night. You caught them, right? Nope. No? <laughs> <laughs> I skip all that, man. What? I go, I go You're see just... the movies I want to see, and then when the show is over, I'll read a report, and there will be a nice, tedious little list with all the breakdown, and I can look at it over... 30, 40 seconds, get all the info I need, and I don't have to sit through three hours of pageantry.
1: The last time around, I assumed you wouldn't watch the Super Bowl, which you watched, but only for the commercials. And Right. Well, I'm going to assume you know that Black Panther didn't win for Best Picture.
0: Yeah, I know what went down. I just didn't have to watch it to, to know it, what okay. happened later. Okay.
1: Well, I, as you know, then, that Black Panther was nominated in seven categories. But it took home three awards. It turns out that each of these awards was kind of significant in its own interesting way. Like, for example, uh, Ruth Carter. She did the costumes for Black Panther, and she took Mm -hmm. home the Academy Award for Best Costume Design. She was the first ever African-American woman to win in this category. Likewise, Hannah Beachler. She won the Oscar for Best Production Design for Black Panther. And not only was she the first woman of color to be nominated in this category, but she won. And then Ludwig Gorson, he was uh, recognized by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences for his work on the score for Black Panther. This is the third time, by the way, that he's worked with Ryan Coogler. He did Ryan's breakthrough film, uh, Fruitville Station, then did Creed. And of course, to the surprise of no one, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse took home this year's Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Yay. One teeny tiny thing that kind of marred the presentation to this particular Academy Award. Chris Miller got time with the microphone, and Phil Lord got time with the microphone. Peter Ramsey got time with the, you know, so the the three directors. And there was another member of the creative team who stepped up and was starting to pay tribute to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And, but again, it's the Oscars, and there's a billion other rewards to present. So the sound gets cut, and the, the music comes up, and they chase the Sony animation team off the stage. In the memoriam section of uh, last night's presentation, they did include Stan. In fact, I wanna say that it wasn't from one of the Disney Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I I wanna say it was one of the X-Men. It was the, the bit where Stan's out watering his lawn and the water starts to go up.
0: Well, another great place that you can catch cameos from Stan Lee is coming out, well, by the time that this episode is out, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse will have been released on digital. And that's really cool because if you listen to fine tuning that was released on Tuesday, you will have heard the couple of great interviews that were in there that told you about a little Spider Ham thing that's tied into the beginning. And then there's the alternate universe version of the movie. So I'm so out of tune, Jim. I've already downloaded digital, but I have no idea when Blu ray or DVD comes out. So If you've got a date for that somewhere in your notes, can you clue us in? I want to say the
1: 19th of March.
0: By that time, I'll have watched it so many times, I'll have it memorized, and it'll be playing on a loop in the background in the studio all day long. Just so you know, though, that that supposedly
1: there literally is a challenge out there to find... There are... No one's ever
0: done this many hidden stands before, but Stan is all over this thing, so... Well, they should at least give us a number to work with. You know, is it 100? Is it 50? Is it 25?
1: I don't know what to tell you. I
0: just, According to the interview, they had a three-hour cut of the movie. So if you've got, like, now a two-hour movie, that's going to be hard to keep track because it's like, well, we put in a 1,000, but how many actually made it in because this got cut, that got cut? What's the final number? So they're going to have to do their homework and figure out what the right answer is and then come up with a little cherry prize on top. If someone gets the right answer and spots them all, they should, like, you know, get a trip to... See the filming of the next animated Spider-Man, if that makes yeah, sense. You
1: know, yes. <laughs> Just lean over some guy who's working at a Syntec.
0: Right, exactly. That's it. Yep.
1: All right, anyway, long, long story <laughs> short, it was a pretty great night for Marvel Studios, which over the course of one very memorable evening went from being a studio that had never before won an Oscar to then becoming a company that now had been awarded three of them. Okay, uh, quickly shifting from shows that you watch on television to shows that are produced for television. Did you see that letter that Jeff Loeb wrote on the heels of the Netflix announcement that Punisher and, and Jessica Jones were being canceled? No, not, I have not seen his response yet. Given what you've been saying about these Netflix shows, as I was reading this, it was like, I love it when I'm able to tell Aaron that he's right. Because, And more to the point, I love it when somebody in management at Marvel tells Aaron he's right. But anyway, this is how Jeff Loeb's letter to fans reads. It had never been done before. Four separate television series, each with different super talented showrunners, writers, directors, cast and crew coming out months apart. And then they would meet in a single event series all set in the heart of New York City. We called them the Defenders, and together we were thrilled by stories of Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and even the Punisher joined in. They said it couldn't be done. But Marvel assembled amazing teams to write, produce, direct, edit, and score 13 seasons and 161 hour-long episodes. Take a moment, go online, and look at the dazzling list of actors, writers, directors, and musicians who graced us with the very best of their craft. We loved each and every minute of it. And we did it all for you, the fans, who cheered us from around the world and made all the hard work worth it. So thank you. On behalf of everyone at Marvel Television, we couldn't be more proud or grateful for our audience. Our network partner may have decided they no longer want to continue telling the tales of these great characters, but you know Marvel better than that. As Matthew Murdoch's dad once said, the measure of a man is not how he gets knocked to the mat. It's how he gets back up. And then closes out the letter with, to be continued. Nice. So there you go. You you were right. You know, at some point further on down the line, Marvel Television intends on reviving at least one of these shows. And to be honest, if the guys who are buying the digital billboards down in Times Square have their way, uh, the very first series that Marvel Television has to revive is Daredevil.
0: Have you been paying attention to this at all, or...? No, no, I'm sure that it seems like every great show that gets canceled mm-hmm. has a fan community that they'll send in, you know, whether it be little rubber duckies to the mm-hmm. home office or something to say, we want our show back. And so I'm not surprised to find out that one of those communities has crept up to voice their their concern and their love for a show. These guys, the
1: SariDareDevil.com Daredevil.com guys, they have a very active Instagram account and And they seem to be in it for the long haul. I mean, if you go to the website, they actually have laid out an action plan for if you want to help out. You know, here's what you do to contact Disney. Here's what you do to contact Marvel. And the downside is, though, that it really is the long haul, Aaron. Because evidently, in the deal that Netflix signed with Marvel Television back in November of 2013... There's evidently language in there about a mandatory two-year waiting period right, between when the show gets canceled and when any of these programs can then be revived for another network or streaming service.
0: That's all fine and good. I mean, we've already discussed that whole, you know, everything's got to wait two years, mm-hmm. which is why I was almost in a hurry for Jessica Jones to get canceled. So that could then start the two-year time limit on when she can come back. Punisher's not part of that deal. It was is just the original four defenders, so Punisher could come back sooner, but the good news is it's okay that we've got two years to wait. They can start writing it today. They can go into production tomorrow. Well, Daredevil got canceled on November 29th last year.
1: I'd love to get my hands on on the contract to find out... What the precise language is, does that mean that new episodes could start streaming as early as November 29th, 2020,
0: or does that mean... Totally. That's the way I'm reading it. There was no language in the contract that I've ever seen that said anything about production time. It was only you can't stream anywhere else until this date. So that means that you start production a year before that you get everything wrapped with a tidy little bow on it. The day that the embargo is lifted due to the contract, you put it all in place on that day. I hope you're right, because I'd love for the fourth season of Daredevil to kind of underway away as quickly as possible. I highly doubt that, that Disney's going to wait until 2020 to start thinking about what they want to do with Daredevil then. They're going to have a plan in place. If there's any limit to the production, you know, at least they're going to have something written and actors and directors and crew in place so they can at least start production on whatever date they're first allowed production.
1: Okay, well... We'd like to wish best of luck to the folks behind the Daredevil website and the Instagram account. It's it's honestly great, particularly in today's web world, to see a bunch of people who are fans of a program who are taking such a positive, professional, and proactive approach to trying to get the show revived. And Seeing as you and I just talked about the positive side of, of Marvel fandom, I guess we need to talk about one of the more negative aspects of Marvel fandom, and I am, of course, talking about those bozos who reportedly, because they're upset by a comment that Brie Larson made in an interview with Marie Claire magazine, they're now over at Rotten Tomatoes attempting to push down the want to see rating for this next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. And it was something like this that happened before at Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes. Was it DC fans, right? They were going after Black Panther about the same right. time last year,
0: or? Yeah. And it was, I think, as a result of when... I don't know if it was Justice League came out or Dawn of Justice, but one Mm -hmm. of them... I think it was Justice League came out. Mm -hmm. The score wasn't as high as it should have... as they thought it should have been or whatever. And so they felt that, well, it's obviously a great movie and it should be a perfect score and therefore there must be tampering. Who must be doing the tampering? It must be Marvel fans. Let's go poop on their plate.
1: This sort of thing, especially... When you've got people who are basically knocking down a rating for a film they haven't even seen yet. That makes me crazy. And more to the point, look, Aaron, you've been around the entertainment business for years. You've been to press junkets. Mm -hmm. Describe the average guy who shows up at this thing who kind of looks like me, doesn't he?
0: I've been described as when I wear shorts, it Mm -hmm. looks like my legs are glow sticks because they're so (laughs) white. They actually emit their own light. So I'm a bit on the pale side. I don't see much sun. I'm not a basement dweller. I'm upstairs, but, okay. you know, it's still out of the sun. When you're promoting a movie,
1: especially when you're the star of the movie, you're doing this seemingly endless series of 10-minute-long interviews with people from the press all day long. And when an endless series of guys who look like me march for the room, diversity is not the phrase that immediately comes to mind. Now, mind you, there are people in the pile here who are... are Younger, hipper, handsomer, or our own Drew Taylor immediately comes to mind. But trust me, these are a lot of white nerdy guys. But anyway, she actually decided to be proactive about this. She, add, you know, uh, to, this is a quote: "About a year ago, I began paying attention to what my press days looked like in the critics reviewing movies, and I noticed it appeared that to be overwhelmingly white males. So I spoke to Dr. Stacy Smith at UC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, who put together a study to confirm that and." moving forward, I decided to make my press days that much more inclusive. And so she invites Kia Brown. Kia's the creator of Disabled and Cute. Also has to be a very talented young woman of color who lives with cerebral palsy. Killer writer, by the way. Didn't have done some great work for Teen Vogue and that sort of thing. But Brie invites her to come and, and do an interview as part of the Marvel Press Junket. And she's just trying to be proactive and make the change that she's hoping to see at these media events by deliberately mm-hmm. being more inclusive when it comes to the press pool. And an amazing display of selective hearing but somehow <laughs> was perceived as threatening by the Marvel fan community. So they began this whole rotten tomatoes drive down the ratings thing. And But where it got genuinely weird, Aaron, is that in an effort to sort of justify their efforts, to come up with a reason that they were doing this Run Tomatoes, certain oh, comic geez. book fans said that they were only doing this because the character that Zachary Levi is playing in Warner Brothers Shazam, which, remember, it's coming out on April 5th, used to be called Captain Marvel. So to hear these guys talk, they're only doing it so Shazam can be recognized as the rightful Captain Marvel. And this past weekend... Zachary Levi live streams a response to these noobs, which is basically mm-hmm. knock it off with this two minute long video. He basically says, for anybody who thinks you're doing me a favor or Shazam a favor, or you're doing Warner Brothers a favor. You're not, this is not helping anyone or anything. So as you just said, in regard to the DC fans who, you know, came after the Marvel fans because of what happened with uh, Dawn of justice, you have to wonder what's going to happen now with Shazam's I want to see rating if if these same guys are going to go after Zachary because he dared to stand up for Brie
0: you know I don't know because it seems like Shazam is one of those alternate world type things where, where we've got a new Joker mm-hmm. because he's not established with Justice League or any part of the DC world as of yet mm-hmm. and so I really didn't have any High anticipation to see that movie. I saw Aquaman. I thought that was absolutely fabulous. So I'll dive into the DC universe and enjoy all of that. But as far as the whole slam another movie, first of all, an invitation to a party for someone else does not mean that you're suddenly excluded to the party. So that's just a whole bad argument to start slamming a movie because they're trying to be inclusive. That's just stupid. And then if you're going to go the other way and say that Captain Marvel is originally Shazam, you know, I think DC made a very conscious effort to not call their movie Captain Marvel because Marvel is typically associated with Marvel, not DC. And so if they were to, DC were to say, yeah, let's stick to the old name that we abandoned decades ago just because. And we'll call it Captain Marvel. That would make people go, oh, it's a Marvel movie. And then they go, no, wait, this isn't the movie that's connected to Avengers. And, you know, they'd probably get a bad score just because it wasn't the movie that people thought it was supposed to be. Because they're expecting it to be the Marvel Universe. So I think DC made a very conscious decision to just call it Shazam for a reason. Mm -hmm. And the fanboying on that side of the argument also does not hold any water. So they should just go away. And speaking of
1: going away, did you see Gwyneth Paltrow's announcement this past week that evidently she's packing in it as pepper pots? Say that three times fast.
0: Packing it away as pepper pots, packing it away as pepper pots, packing it away as pepper pots. And this is why I work with a radio professional, folks. (laughs) Anyway,
1: according to what Paltrow said to Variety... It's not a money you're respecting. It's just that at age 46, she said, this is a direct quote, I'm feeling a bit old to be in a superhero suit. Paltrow went on to say that it was such a wonderful experience making the first Iron Man, and I feel very lucky that I did it. But with that, uh, Paltrow plans to retire her version of Pepper Potts with the release of Avengers Endgame on April 26th,
0: which, <laughs> by the way, you pointed out, is a spoiler, right? Well, it is because there's a, a a little comment that she added to all of this was that she may come back for an appearance as long as it's a one-day shoot. You know, walk on, walk off. I can continue on with my life. I don't have to be taken by this project for weeks on end. Erin so, is
1: correct. Uh, again, in the variety piece, it says she closed it out with, of course, if they said, can you come back for a day? I'd always be there if they
0: needed me. So, yes, you could. <laughs> And then after that, I said, wait a minute, they've already shot Endgame, right? And you said, yep. And then I said, well, she lived through that one, because otherwise she wouldn't be available for appearances and walk-on shoots, now would she? This is true. Uh, oh, Oh, speaking of Endgame, Kevin Feige just revealed
1: we've got, there's another trailer coming, so you know, get ready for way too much of me paying attention to it, Aaron. (laughs) <laughs> but something else that that Kevin uh, mentioned as part of this interview we talked about that Loki show so people were asking him okay so to talk to us about this Loki thing and, and the interesting thing that Feige said uh, that this was in an interview published by comicbook.com he said what's interesting about the Disney plus shows is that they're going to be produced by Marvel Studios rather than Marvel Television so they can be interwoven with the current Marvel Cinematic Universe, the past Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the future Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is something the production teams of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, and Humans just dreamed about. But again, what I liked about this, Aaron, is once again, Aaron Adams was right. Here he basically verifies that we're talking about you know prequels, we're talking about future standalone films, stuff like that. So it, it does plug into your vision of where... Phase 4, which, again, is not a phase, what that's going to look like.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I'm more curious about right now is it seemed in the last month or two that they had discussions about anything R-rated was going over to Hulu to -hmm. live, and then anything PG-13 and under would go over to Disney Plus to live. But Punisher and Daredevil and most of the Defenders are straight up R-rated. Mm-hmm. And I almost assume that they would end up getting shuffled over to Hulu because they're so much darker. We talked on the last show about that Offenders Animated project, and
1: that was announced right out of the gate for Hulu, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, and and I can see Loki, God of Mischief. That's mm-hmm. you know light and playful still, mm-hmm. where he can be deceptive and manipulate mankind in in our past key moments in history. Mm-hmm. That can still be PG thirteen because it's still in line with everything that the cinematic universe has given us thus far. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that the Winter Soldier and Falcon team up would end up being a Disney Plus Loki. Scarlet Witch would be Disney Plus, but then Defenders might end up getting shuffled over to Hulu just so they can continue, because I would really hate to see them tone it down to PG-13 for the Defenders.
1: I want to say during the earnings call that even Iger said that, you yeah, know, I think there's a place for R-rated Marvel stuff, you know, again, hopefully protecting the Deadpool franchise.
0: Yeah, I just wouldn't expect it to ever land on Disney Plus ever for any reason. <laughs> no. You know? but
1: Iger supposedly said as long as as people are prepped for it as long as they know what they're getting themselves into so I think yeah
0: you know. I I see putting Punisher on Disney plus mm-hmm. like stuffing a Mickey Mouse plush with a rattlesnake <laughs> you know it's like yeah. oh, it's cute on the outside a little dangerous if you rip the head off and look on what's on the inside your kid might find something you know it just it't do- it doesn't seem like something they would do and speaking of characters
1: that Rip other people's heads off. You and I previously had sung the praises of Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night, that that scripted serial podcast that Marvel New Media and and Stitcher released last year. Mm -hmm. Evidently, there's a second installment of the series coming. It's called Marvel's Wolverine, The Lost Trail, and it's going to be premiering on Stitcher Premium on Monday, March 25th. I guess just like Lone Night. Oh, excuse me, The Long Night. This audio adventure is going to be told over 10, 30-minute long episodes. You'll be pleased to hear that Richard Armitage is back. It's the voice of Logan.
0: But are they going to bring him in for more than half an hour session for the whole thing? And the thing that bothers me right now is the title of this show is called Wolverine, the Lost Trail, Mm -hmm. which makes it sound like the FBI agents or whatever that were tracking Wolverine in the last one still haven't found him, so he's not going to be in it very much.
1: (laughs) Mm. Well, it's interesting. If you go to the the Mm -hmm. Stitcher page for this, the graphic actually shows a young boy and Logan in a boat in what looks like the Louisiana Bayou. So hmm. they're swapping up the world. And more to the point, I, you know, again, as an audio guy, what was it, Alaska the last time around?
0: Yeah, you actually would get to do a lot more, uh, well, a different audio environment. Mm-hmm. Instead of having either mountains and woods, you know, which is wind and trees creaking, stuff like that, where uh, mm-hmm. you got scenes that were taking place on a boat out on mm-hmm. like a harbor, So you had water and marina with waves and whatnot. So then you switch to a bayou, you've got mosquitoes and bugs there frogs croaking stuff that make you feel like you're down south Mm -hmm. it rains a lot i mean you know it's just a different a, a, a way to move the story forward but put it in a different place and use a completely different set of tools to create the environment just like star wars a new hope versus empire strikes back you go from a desert planet to an ice planet you know what what's as different as i can get uh i went from desert let's go to Antarctica. Similar type of thing like that. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad for that.
1: When Aaron and I get back from this commercial break, we're gonna talk about the interesting things that the Disney cruise line has been doing lately with the Marvel characters during its Marvel Day at sea.
0: Okay, we're
1: back. Now, had you heard about this uh, before, Aaron, the whole Marvel Day at Sea thing that, that they're doing to the cruise line?
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd mentioned it uh, previously, so we're kind of up to speed on the on the general Just that there's a whole gluttony of Marvel action, uh, but you have to do it in international waters where the licensing allows for such entertainment. The Disney
1: Cruise Line was a new division of the company that got launched back in May of 95 took them three years to get a ship, out, new ship out the door. The the Magic launched in July of 98. And then uh, a year later, we got The Wonder. And then there was this slight 12-year pause while they decided whether or not they wanted to expand the fleet. And January of 2011, we got The Disney Dream. March of 2012, we got The Fantasy. By the way, Len Testa loves to talk about his theory that when it comes to naming things of the Walt Disney Company... There's a room in Burbank that just has a giant wheel, and (laughs) on it is either magic, wonder, fantasy, or dreams, and they spin it, and wherever it lands, that winds up being the name of the next theme park show or parade.
0: There's a small sliver that has all of the above, where it's just the magic, wonder, dream.
1: There we go. Okay. So, all right. Now, we jump ahead to August 2009. The Walt Disney Company buys Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion. The problem is, there's this master licensing agreement that Marvel signed with MCA Recreation Services. That's uh, the division of what eventually became Comcast. There's the ones who ride herd on Universal Parks and Resorts. And the problem is this deal, signed in March of 1994, severely restricts the way the Marvel characters can be used east of the Mississippi. But as Aaron mentioned at the top of this segment, that master licensing agreement does not apply to international waters, which, by the way, I didn't know what international waters were. It turns out if you go 12 nautical miles offshore, once you get past that, you're out into international waters and you can do whatever the hell you want. October 2012, the Walt Disney Company buys a Lucasfilm for $4 billion. And as early as February of 2015, the Disney Cruise Line begins offering Star Wars days at sea. It's just sort of like, again, same problem from 2012 to when Galaxy's Edge finally opens at Disneyland and and Florida. It's going to have been seven years, Aaron. It takes that Mm -hmm. long to do things with concrete and steel and that sort of thing. True. Whereas less than three years into the Disney acquiring Lucasfilm, here's this whole entertainment program on the Disney Cruise Line. They did eight sailings in early 2016 from uh, January to April of that year. And uh, it was a full day of Star Wars related activities, deck party, meet and greets with your favorite Star Wars characters, unique food and beverage. And of course, it's Disney. There's special merchandise. And, mm-hmm. you know, you got screenings during the sea day of the Star Wars films and what was then the new animated series, Star Wars Rebel. So they were huge success, ridiculously popular, which does not go unnoticed by the Marvel Entertainment people, who are still trying to, you know, come up with some kind of a workaround for this whole East of the Mississippi exclusivity deal, that, you know, the clause that's in the Master Licensing Agreement. Thanks to the magic of international waters, here suddenly is a way to get around this seemingly ironclad agreement. So October 2016. Uh, just six months after the initial wave of Star Wars Day at Seas cruises have been completed, they're being staged under the Disney Fantasy, Disney Cruise Line announced its first ever set of Marvel Day at Seas, which will be offered on select sailings of the Disney Magic beginning in the fall of 2017. Jump ahead to October 21st, 2017. inaugural sailing gets underway. And where do they launch from? New York. What would have been is if they could look out at Stark Tower or the Baxter Building? but It's
0: a little bit expensive to build that prop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes that, it is. that it is. Although with the amount of money that uh, Disney is making, I wouldn't be all that damn surprised if they end up with one in New York somewhere at some point in the future. <sighs> now, I just had a great idea, and mm-hmm. it's a loophole in the contract. Yep. So west of the Mississippi... You can use certain things. East of the Mississippi, you can use other things. I'm saying, Jim, you want to go in with me on a riverboat and we'll do a Marvel Mississippi riverboat? Because there's no language. Oh, that's... It's only east and west that's ingenious (laughs) yeah it's the one the Uh. one gap i kept thinking about there's something missing here and it was the obvious the border uh and riverboats are actually rather popular along the mississippi
1: that is that's a cool idea okay all right on behalf of the disney attorney that's listening to this now and typing up that memo
0: (laughs) erin gets a cut okay
1: just just, a big cut just you know
0: it would do so well down south, I'm telling you, man. Down on the bayou, oh, we'd have a good time. New Orleans, jeez. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, the Marvel Day at Sea
1: program, based on what Disney Imagineers have told me, is, is basically everything the company would love to be able to do with the Marvel characters in Orlando, but can't, again, because of that master licensing agreement. So this includes a full day of entertainment, exclusive interactions with some of Marvel's mightiest superheroes, among them uh, Spider-Man, Captain America, and Thor, and along with the menacing foes that oppose them, like Loki. In fact, a friend who's actually done this program said that of the characters they interacted with, Loki was the most fun. It was a a, a photo op that went on was only supposed to be like, you know, go up, get your picture taken with Loki, but the kid walked up with a Marvel shirt, and Loki was looking it over, and he's like, well, I approve, my brother's not on it, and it just kind of cascaded from there. It, as a result, the kid went home where they're, I want to grow up and be Loki.
0: Well, when you're the god of mischief, they, he he can't be expected to follow any of the rules, even if they're Disney's photo op only thirty seconds per family. No, you gotta you that, gotta play.
1: Oh God, you're right, you're right. Okay, the, the other aspect of this that I've told, by the way, is extraordinary. Is that there's a, a a deck party that actually it concludes the event, but it's the largest collection of Marvel superheroes and villains ever. ever. There's 12 or 15 different characters on stage at, at any one time for this thing. And then again, it's Disney. So there's there's merch, there's food, you know, that sort of thing. There's also trivia contests where, you know, your kids can, can be for prizes and that sort of thing. So they launched this in 2017. Because the cuffs are off, when they're out to sea, they can do things that they can't do at the States at, at theme parks. Like, for example, January 9th of this year, the very first place on the planet, if you wanted to meet Captain Marvel, you could meet her on this ship. They had a walk around version of the character and it was like they, they weren't in a position where they could show the poor cast member who was playing Carol Danvers, you know, uh, uh you know, the movie because it wasn't done. Right. So she had lots of of these are your talking points. You know. I yeah. like flying. <laughs> you know, it's, isn't it great to be up in the clouds? <laughs> I right? wish I yeah. could see my movie. <laughs> so you could see her there. Fun little side note of this thing. Again, you go to a Disney theme park, people want to get their picture taken with Mickey, want to get an autograph. So they buy one of those autograph books. Mm-hmm. But evidently there's a rule as part of the Marvel Day at Sea that if you're a Marvel character and a child walks up to you with an autograph book, you're not allowed to sign a page in that book that's already been signed by a Disney character. When I asked my Imagineer friend about this, he made a Ghostbuster reference to the effect of when it comes to, to Marvel and Disney, they're, the company is not allowed to cross the streams. That's so funny.
0: I'm surprised that Disney doesn't make you buy a Marvel book, so it has to be on a Marvel page. I think that really is what... what you know. But here's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. is If you go over
1: the entertainment offerings f- for this cruise and for this Marvel Day at Sea, there's one point where there's a show up on the main deck We have the Disney characters wearing T-shirts for their favorite Marvel character. Donald is wearing green because he loves the Hulk because the Hulk has a horrible temper. <clears throat> so it's just sort of like, this seems like a selective weird
0: rule that yeah. I personally don't get. I mean, one of the biggest buzzwords in a big company like that is synergy, mm-hmm. which is such a silly thing. But anyway, it's, yeah, making your parts work together. And, of mm-hmm. course, that there should be a Mickey and a an Donald as a Captain America and an Iron Man having their own battle. Mm-hmm. I think that would be hilarious if they ended up doing that one day. And now they've got Star Wars, and there can be a you know, Mickey, Luke, and a mini Leia. And do a whole gag with that. They have the ability to do so much with it. They just haven't really tapped into it yet. Because I I don't know what they're afraid of. I remember talking with the guys
1: who did the animated series Phineas and Ferb for Disney. And Mm -hmm. I want to say like five years ago now, they did special crossover episodes. And they talked about when it came to the Marvel one the Marvel guys were so were tougher to work with because they were so controlling of the characters, and you know they mm-hmm. could do this, but you couldn't do that. And said on the other hand, Lucasfilm was like, "Sure, do whatever the hell you want, have fun with it." So that would explain why the thing, the very thing you just described—a a Mickey Luke or Mini Leia—they exist. Mm-hmm. Those costumes existed for the Star Wars days that they used to do at the parks. In fact, yeah. I'm told with Galaxy's Edge that. They can't bring those costumes out anymore because now suddenly they've spent $600 million building this brand new land and said, no, we can't have Mickey goofing on our our big land here. And oddly enough, they did have a goofy costume as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that all makes sense for Star Wars land to keep that pure so you're in the environment like you're actually on a different planet. That totally makes sense to not want to break that rule. But if you're over in the Disney park... Who's to say they can't throw on a Luke costume there? I mean, you know, it's just a matter of what side of a wall you're standing on.
1: I get that, I get that. So we do our first set of cruises, 2017, hugely successful. So they come back 2018, they jumped the number, I wanna say, from seven cruises to eight cruises. But here's the thing, in between the first set of cruises, Doctor Strange has come out. And so what they decide to do to add to the entertainment offerings is they create a show for the Walt Disney Theater where it's the Sorcerer Supreme on stage doing Mm -hmm. some of the illusions, some of the effects that we've seen from the film, which I thought was impossible until Aaron, you just showed me this amazing video. Can can you explain what I was looking at?
0: (laughs) It's it's, uh, very, very simple, but very, very complex, which is what makes it such a beautiful device. So uh, in order to try and describe it visually, I'll ask you to imagine a ruler, that has a little pin at the six-inch mark. So it can spin around in a circle, right? Mm -hmm. And that pin would go basically between your ring finger and your middle finger, and it's got a motor, so it allows the ruler to stick out on the outside of your fist and spin like a propeller. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got that concept, we'll move along to the next. Now, every half-inch, put in an LED that can change from red, green, blue, so, it can make any color combination. And then it has a little programmer built into it. So, it knows how fast it's spinning and which LED has got to flash in order to make almost like a video screen. I've actually seen them where they've projected, I want to say it was like Goofy and Donald, they were doing like a Mickey demo with it. And so, if you remember how in the movies Doctor Strange would make a fist and this big orange circle would appear in his fist, and it would have like this geometric design kind of floating in it, it creates exactly that well, with that's LEDs. What I was
1: stunning of the footage you showed me. I mean, to, to get you know, that sort of floating triangle within a circle that then did the whole, for lack of a better term, the Spirograph effect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
1: No, it was amazing. And it just sort of like, it's like, oh, my God. And, and But again, the footage you were showing me, this wasn't from the Disney show. This was mm-hmm. a cosplayer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's a link somewhere that has where you can actually buy a kit to either make these or it's already developed and you can just buy it outright. and. It's almost like an LCD display. You know, it's, if you can imagine like a little circle TV on the en- end of your fist, but it's not LCD, it's LEDs. Just flashing in a circle going really, really fast to m- make your eye think that there's a solid circle there. But it's just a propeller basically going really fast with lights on it. It's beautiful. beautiful. It is
1: an absolutely amazing effect. And if a cosplayer is able to do this, I just, I cannot wait to see what they do with Doctor Strange inside of the the Walt Disney uh, Theater. and speaking with Aaron, this program with the disney cruise line is so successful they've already all announced the dates for 2020 and i think as part of our due diligence here when it comes to the marvel us disney podcast we really need to go and experience a marvel day at sea if only to we're professionals we got to go check out this show that they do in fathoms that's salute the captain america that's supposed to be kind of a uso show where they do songs from the 30s and the 40s and i've talked about this stunt show thing that they do in the upper deck that is supposedly closes out the whole event and it starts at 10 15 but everyone who's ever been on the cruise says you have to be on deck by 10 because otherwise you'll never get a, a decent seat or be able to actually see this amazing show which evidently the red skull is up mm-hmm. on the funnel of the ship, and it's just sort of the- like the Red Skull. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. So we got to go. We got to go and do this thing. But again, downside mm-hmm. of this amazing thing that happens out on international waters is that they can't do this in Florida. More to the point, because of that weird Marvel Mania restaurant, which, by the way, some folks have reached out with with photos of merch they purchased there and, and oh, talked yeah? about. The interesting thing is that it isn't to. The sandwiches that we were talking about, uh, Aaron, mm-hmm. you could get dom pion at the restaurant. So right, but sip it out of a Hulk glass, you know, Hulk shape <laughs> glass. I, uh, I don't know. Other thing I find fascinating uh-huh. about this, and I just I just came across this tonight. The gentleman who came up with this restaurant, Robert Earl, is mm. the same guy who did the Planet Hollywoods. In fact, this this sure. was supposed to be parallel project with Planet Hollywood. It was going to be, he describes it, a tribute to the world of comic books. And it just fascinates me that here he's doing business with Disney and he gets a Planet Hollywood built in Florida and he gets a Planet Hollywood built at Disneyland Paris. And But he's, at the same time, he's over here with Universal building restaurants inside of their parks. But I guess some of the ideas that we're seeing implemented on the Disney magic for these uh, Marvel Days at Sea We probably will see, shop, you know, show up in more permanent form at Hong Kong Disneyland because they're going to build that whole uh, Marvel area off of Tomorrowland and uh, the Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris that they're right in the middle of that project right now. But obviously this thing's been going on for three years now, four years now. There's got to be some of our listeners that have experienced this and we Love to hear your thoughts about Marvel Day at Sea, what your favorite aspect of this thing was. Please, if you could reach out and share those things. And and likewise, anybody who's got some Marvel Mania restaurant stories, we'd love to hear those as well. Our ship is pulling into port, Aaron. The show is over. Uh, We have many other shows here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. They include Disney Dish with Lentesta, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, Looking at Lucasfilm with the dazzling Dan Z, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And just today, we recorded a brand new episode of I Want That with Michelle Valladolid. And anything I'm missing here, Aaron?
0: I can't remember what show this is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on on that particularly disconcerting note, my name is Jim Hill. And on behalf of, of my co host, the amazing Aaron Adams, thanks for listening.
0: And we'll be back again with a new show shortly. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.